Yeah. Let's jump into the Word this morning. Let's jump into the Word. Come on. Somebody take your Bibles out and turn with me to Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 through, I don't know, we'll probably read initially 1 through 11. For you um, five that are very excited, ho hold on, don't, don't be seated. Some of y'all are like, oh yeah, now it's time to be sitting down. Hold on, just hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. As you're turning there, let me thank you for the love and encouraging words that you've sent to Kim and our boys this week and the loss of her mother who died unexpectedly on Tuesday. And, um, you know, today, this week, we've really talked about not preaching today because all of the things that go with loss, and I'm sure ever experienced that you understand that family flying in and in fact Kim's at the airport all morning long today family and friends that are flying in from out of town some from the west coast and various pickup times and for the funeral that's this coming Tuesday you're more than welcome we invite you um, for the visitation which is um, 9:45 to 10:45 Tuesday morning at Rogers and Brees and then the funeral that will follow at the main post cemetery um, where we will lay her mother to rest at 11 a.m. But uh, thank you for your uh, love and encouragement. But how many of you know God is good? Amen. And so I knew that I had to be here today because I knew God had placed a word in my heart for you. And so I think it's a word that we all need to hear today. Can somebody give the Lord an amen for that? So let me let me begin reading. It says, um, I'm actually going to pick up in verse, um, let's pick up in verse 5. It says, Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jeremoth, Lashish, Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all of their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all of the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Grab this. Verse 7 says, So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all of the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going to Beth Haran and cut them all the way down to Azekah and Mekedah and all of those other names you can't pronounce. And verse 11 says, And they fled before Israel on the road. And yeah, there we go. And the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. Can you imagine this? And more of them died from the hell than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself against its enemies. It's verses 7 and 8 that I want to focus on. Actually, verse 8. It says, the Lord said to them, or said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not 
be afraid. I don't know who this is for today. Do not be afraid. You can change the name there and write your name. Do not be afraid. Joshua, do not be afraid. Wanda, do not be afraid. Jimmy, do not be afraid. Dwayne, do not be afraid. Paul, do not be afraid. Chris, do not be afraid. Somebody say, do not be afraid. You can see this overwhelming sense of belonging that Joshua has with God. Somebody say belong. I'm going to let you be seated. Just be seated. Belong. We've been talking about belong. It's the theme of Epicenter Church for 2019. Keep playing for me. That's awesome. Belong. Belonging to God. Belonging to the body of Christ. Belonging to Epicenter Church. We've talked about both the beauty of belonging, the blessings of belonging, and also the responsibilities of belonging. I want to stay in that same vein of conversation and read to you for the last time, at least for today, the foundational verses for this particular series, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Verses 19 through 22, this is a letter that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Now, let me just say this. This may be the last time that we read this for this particular series. However, we will revisit this theme all throughout 2019. Somebody say belong. So here's what Paul says. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. Somebody say, I'm home. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm home. Look at somebody who turned their back on you and say, I'm home. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to, to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home and he's using us all. Look at your neighbor and say, he's using you. And he's using you and using you and using you to build something irrespective of how we got here and what he is building he used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation now he's using you fitting you in brick by brick stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all of the parts together we see it taking shape today now let me take you to another verse in scripture that will ultimately serve as the context for our conversation which is Isaiah chapter 49, verses 2 and 3. You don't, well, just hold your finger over in Joshua. Uh, we'll get back to Joshua. But Isaiah chapter 49, verses 2 and 3, it's really a passage of Scripture. It's, in fact, I preached out of this, these two passages of Scripture several, a few years ago, and I didn't finish the concept then, and today I want to finish that concept and give you some additional information that we weren't able to cover then. Acts chapter 49, verses 2 and 3, Joshua will actually be the illustration for this particular verse. It says this, he made me, or my mouth, like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Hold on a second. Verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow, and he concealed me in my quiver. In his quiver. Hold on a second. You got to grab this. Here is 
something that Isaiah is writing in context to Jesus. It's this prophetic word about the coming Messiah, who Jesus would be and what Jesus would do. But if you understand the context of what Isaiah is writing, you also understand that it's not only prophetic about who Jesus is and what he would do, but also it is prophetic about who we are as Christ followers. Because Jesus would follow this up in Matthew chapter 28 and Jesus would say, go and make disciples and do what I did. Go and make disciples and do what I did. Hold on a second. He says, go and make disciples and do what I did. What did Jesus do? So now we understand if you're grabbing hold of this, that this is a proclamation that Isaiah was pinning when it came to who the Lord was, but also to who you are. And the Bible says that God created you and sharpened you, your mouth into a sharp sword. Somebody say, that's a point. And he made you into a polished arrow. Somebody else say, that's a point. Look at your neighbor and announce to them the title of today's message. It's not what's the point, but who's on point. I'd say, oh, Jesus. It's not what's the point. It's who's on point. Because if you're grabbing this, God has fashioned you into a weapon that he is using. In fact, when he reaches into his quiver, he grabs hold of you because he's chosen you as his perfect weapon to take on the enemy of this world and defeat, and defeat the cares of this world. Are you grabbing hold of this? He's fashioned you into a, into a polished arrow a sharpened sword let me give you some more context those two weapons are offensive weapons which only means that god has a plan a strategic plan for you hold on a second did not did not paul say to the church at ephesus that god is building something through you there is a plan you are a polished arrow the word polished in Hebrew means without imperfection. Guess what that means? That means that you are a perfect weapon for God. Are you grabbing this? Let me tell you something. I don't think you're grabbing this. And when I go to places and preach, there are some of those go-to verses that I pull out because I know that I can say certain verses, you know, pull them, pull them out of my repertoire and I can say these verses and people will get excited over these verses. Some verses that will even cause Presbyterians to get a little vocal. You know what I'm saying? Like, like verses like, like over in Isaiah chapter 54, just five verses later, where, where Isaiah says that, that no weapon formed against me will prosper. That will cause people to get excited. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And when you begin to think about the, the weapons that the enemy uses, you realize that there is no weapon that he can use that will prosper over my, over my life. Not the weapon of lack, not the weapon of loss, not the weapon of difficulty, not the weapon of my past, not the weapon of my insecurity, not the weapon of fear. No weapon formed against me will prosper. It may surround you, but it will not have success over you. Can somebody say, Say, that verse will preach. Well, as cool as that verse is, I think Isaiah chapter 49 is even more powerful because God has sharpened you into a 
sword. He's polished you into an arrow so that he can reach into his quiver and deploy you at any time that he needs you. Listen, how does he deploy you? Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. This is the application. Verse 3 said, he said to me, you are my servant. Somebody circle that word servant. You are my servant. I I, I feel like preaching. In other words, there are there will be times in your life that you will find yourself in places that you don't understand why you are in that place but God deployed you there and you'll be in that place because he planted you there he pulled you out of his quiver and he shot you into that place you may not have gone there on your own choice but what you need to know is that God is with you there you may not be able to sustain yourself when you get to that place but guess who can sustain you the God who gives every single gift you see you are the perfect weapon that God has chosen no weapon formed against you will prosper so when you get to that place called your neighborhood when you get to that place called your job when you get to that place called your school no weapon formed against you will prosper why because he made you into a perfect weapon a polished arrow so that you can go against the lack the difficulty the suffering the crisis in culture can somebody say i got the point I'm going to have to close this thing down and preach to the second service. Hopefully they're going to be excited about the point. Somebody say, who's on point? Mm, Thank you. Who's on point? Well, I, I need you to grab hold of this because many times the weaponry of God is displayed through servanthood. There's an arrow, the camera person. The lights are in my eyes. I can't tell if it's a man or woman, and that's no no joke. I just can't tell. Okay, all right, Marion, praise the Lord. We have a camera woman that God has made into a polished arrow, a servant. We have the, the praise team that that's God's made into a polished arrow. We've got nursery workers that God has made into a polished arrow. We, we've got security team that God has made into a polished arrow. We've got ushers that God has made into a polished arrow. We've got a connections team, a host team that God has made into a polished arrow. We've got all of these other teams that give you the opportunity to serve. If you're not serving, God wants to make you into a polished arrow can I get a hello but then let me let me get back in stride here because I think about being the weapon that God has chosen to use against the cares of this world and and that is an offensive weapon but so many times we take up a defensive position We allow our mindset to go from one that is offensive to one that is defensive. Joshua, do not be afraid. Joshua, do not be afraid. And we allow our minds to go from one that is offensive-minded to one that is defensive-minded. And then we begin to ask questions like, what's the point of this? What's the point of this addiction? What's the point of this problem? What's the point of this brokenness? What's the point of my mother-in-law getting well but then dying unexpectedly? What's the point of my mother struggling through life with Parkinson's that is crippling her life? What's the point of this me losing this job or me losing this situation? Or What's the point of this? Anybody ever ask that? 
But sometimes you find yourself in a place where you're asking, what's the point? But you need to remember, you may find yourself in a place that you didn't want to be, but you need to know who's right there with you every single step of the way. You may not be in a perfect situation, but you have a perfect Savior who is right by your side. You may not know how, but you know who. You may not know when, but you know who. You may not know why, but you know who. And when you realize that you are a weapon that God has chosen to invest and plant you in a place that you are in. That means God has empowered you to be the difference maker in that place. That means that you have a responsibility of keeping your sword sharp and your, and, and your arrow polished. And when you do not keep your sword sharp and your arrow polished, you will forget why you have that weapon, why you are that weapon in the first place, and then you will take up a defensive position. You see, in life, I think sometimes we think it's because we don't know the plan of God, and because we don't know the plan of God, it's just easier to play defense. But can I tell you something? I, I don't think that you will ever know the full plan of God, at least A to Z in your life, because if you knew God's plan, every little, little detail, every little nuance, every little turn, right turn, left turn, if you knew it all from A to Z, where would the faith be in that? Or maybe it would be so much information that it would overwhelm your faith. You see, I don't think our problem is that we don't know the plan of God. I think our problem is we don't act upon what we already know. You see, I don't think the problem is a lack of knowledge. I think the problem is a lack of courage. Therefore, we don't act upon the knowledge that we do have. Whew, Joshua, do not be afraid. Joshua, do not be afraid. Let's go back to the narrative. Let's look at Joshua, at least this story, with a little more specificity. Because Joshua was born in slavery in Egypt. He's hung out with the people of Israel. He's hung out with Moses. He's been Moses' right-hand man. And, and then Moses dies. Now he succeeded Moses. And he's been the commander of the army of Israel. Here, Joshua has battled and battled and battled again and battled again and battled again and battled again and battled again, fought this fought them, fought that. It's battle after battle after battle in order to take possession of the promise. Now, there's a mouthful. There's a lesson there that we can learn. And sometimes in order for you to take possession of the promise, it is preceded by your willingness to fight. Hello? It's just like if you want to lose weight and you've got a goal of losing weight, but yet along the way, the battle becomes more than you can deal with. And so your sword is no longer sharp. It's now dull. And so you settle for less than what your goal was to begin with. Or maybe you want restoration in your marriage and rather than fighting from a position of knowledge that God is for you and he is with you and he wants to restore you and restore your marriage, you fight from, from a position of, of the unknown and the unknown drives you into a place called apathy. 
or maybe you know that God has called us to grow his church, but, but yet the, the methods that he wants to use to grow his church are not always so obvious. Or, or maybe you know that God has called you to be a tither, but yet the financial battles along the way have caused your arrow not to be so polished. In fact, it looks unpolished, and therefore you've just decided to not be the tither because all of the financial battles, but then you wonder why you don't have the financial blessing. Are you with me? Can somebody give me an amen so that I know you're with me? Let's get back. And so here is, 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 is Joshua who's been told that battle after battle will come, but yet that doesn't make it easier. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so now the people of Gibeon have really, they're in need of help. Because five other kingdoms have come together because they found out how powerful the people of Israel are becoming, how powerful Joshua is. So they say, we're going to go and wipe out Gibeon, which is this royal city, which, which Joshua has a peace treaty with. And when Joshua comes to save them, we're going to kill him. So the people of Gibeon sent a word to Joshua. There's some symbolism there. The people of Israel sent a word. Hold on a second. Joshua's name in the Hebrew is Yeshua, which means the Lord is our Savior. The people of Israel sent a word. We need to be saved. How good are we when it comes to talking about our enemy to anyone who will listen? I'm, I'm serious. So, so they sent a word. Verses 5 and 6 say they sent a word to, to Joshua. <laughs> I don't know how they sent the word. I don't obviously not social media, but today it's social media. Hashtag I'm scared. Hashtag you better get here now. Hashtag scared selfie. Hashtag don't know what to do. Hashtag we're about to die. Hashtag come on. How good are we at talking about our enemy to anyone who will listen, but yet when it comes to talking about our Savior to anyone who will listen, we're not that good? I, I, listen, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute because I'm sick and tired of having to whisper the name Jesus because when you mention the name that is above every other name, everybody else gets offended. But yet they're able to use their platform, they're, 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 they're able to use their Instagram, their Twitter to be vile and angry and ugly, but yet God has chosen me as a perfect weapon. And it's time for me to say, you can use your platform, but I'm going to use my platform and speak the name of Jesus. Good Lord, have mercy. So they sent word to Joshua. And then it reminded me, hold on a second, 1,500 years or so later, God sent the word to save the people. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and God sent the Savior, Jesus, to save us. I said, God sent Jesus to save us. So, hold on a second. What's the point is not necessarily the question we need to be asking, but rather it's who's on point. Because you might not be in a perfect situation, but you have a perfect Savior who's with you every single step of the road. We might not understand, we might not, we might question, we might, we might wonder, we might, all of the things that go with that, why, why is this happening? But, but yet God sent his son, hold on a second. So, so let's go back to the story. 
they sent word to Joshua in verse 7. Verse 7, put verse 7 up. It says, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with the entire army, including all of the best fighting men. Now hang on for a second. Verse 7 tells us something without telling us. Unless you know the history and the theology behind this verse, you won't catch it. Verse 7 says he marched up from Gilgal. We need to understand something about Gilgal. In order to understand what Gilgal was, where Gilgal was, what the significance of Gilgal is, we need to back up in the leadership story of Joshua. Because Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, put Joshua chapter 1, verse 2 up for me. Joshua, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, Moses dies. And God, I may not have told you, and if I didn't, I'll read it myself here. I'm just a little out of sorts this morning. But Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's what God says to Joshua. Hey, Moses is dead. It's not like Joshua didn't already know this. I love how God works. Moses, my servant, is dead. Notice, though, he says, my servant. How does God display his weaponry? Many times it's through servanthood. He says, my servant Moses is dead. Now then, you and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land that I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Woo. Hold on a second. That, that's good. Now he's in charge. He's... He stepped into the shoes that Moses would wear. And then verse 3, he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses. Hold on a second. I will give you every single place that you set your foot. Now, that is a promise that is, that is um, applicable to Joshua, but it's relevant to us. Look, it says, I will give you every place where you set your feet. As I promised to Moses. Now verses 4 and 5. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, the great river Euphrates, the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hold on a second. This is powerful. So we see the promise of verse 3, and then we see God saying, I'm going to continue to be with you the same way that I was, Moses, and I'm going to give you every place that you set your feet. Here's the problem. The problem with that verse is many times we're so focused on verse 3. I'm going to give you every place that you set your feet. And we begin to set our feet in places, and then we wonder why God is not giving us the place that we're setting our feet. Could it be that the reason why God is not blessing you in the place that you set your feet is because God never told you to place your feet in that place? Can I get an amen? And so, let me get back to, to the story here. So, we see that we want to focus on verse 3. We want verse 3 to be on point for our lives. We want verse 3 to be the promise that is fulfilled in our lives. But verse 3 is not what keeps the, the, the sword sharp. Verse 3 is not what keeps the arrow polished. That's verses 7, 8, and 9. Put 7, 8, and 9 up for me. 7, 8, and 9 says this. It says way too small. 7, 8, and 9. My eyes are real tired. I'm just sorry. 
7, 8, and 9 says this. It says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. He says, then you will be prosperous and successful. Hold on a second. So it's, it's not verse 3 that keeps the sword sharp in my life where I, everywhere I place my feet. That's a promise we all want to live by. It, it's, it's verses 7, 8, and 9. It's the word that keeps the arrow polished. It is the word that keeps the sword sharp. It is the word that is, that is the lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It is the perfection of the word that polishes away the imperfections in my life. Are you with me? Okay, so I need you to grab this. How many of you want a harvest in your life? You just want God to bring a harvest. Everybody in here that's participating, good. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Can I tell you something? Receiving a word. Everybody's always looking for a word. I want a word. I want a word. They sent a word. Give me a word. Just give me a word. Can I tell you something? God's word is powerful. It is. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. But can I tell you something? It is not the word, which is also called the seed. It is not the seed that determines the amount of harvest in your life. You know what it is? It is the condition of the soil that the seed falls on. When you use his word and, and that sword of his word to till up your heart, when that soil is ready, that seed that has been planted will begin to bring forth a harvest. You see, that's why some of you come into church on Sunday and you get a word, but then on Monday you don't know where that word went. Because you're allowing whatever is happening and going on in your life to take over in your life so that you're no longer focusing upon who God is, but rather you're taking up a defensive position. Mm. It's like God will give me a word or a seed on Monday and I have to let it grow all the way through the week so that I can give you his plan on Sunday. Okay, let's go back. So they're over in Gilgal. And so God says to Joshua, I want you to take the people of Israel. Forgot where we were at from. I want you to take the people uh, of Israel and I want you to cross over the Jordan and I want you to, to, to go into the promised land. Well, hold on a second. The Jordan's at flood stage. Well, you send the Ark of the Covenant ahead of you, and when the Ark of the Covenant reaches the water, you'll, you're going to see what's going to happen. So they take the Ark of the Covenant. It reaches the Jordan River, and when it does, the Jordan River stops flowing upstream. The water's dammed up. Now they walk across on dry ground. All one million plus people of the Israelites walk across on dry ground going into the promise. But when they're walking across, Joshua says, grab 12 stones. The 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. They grab the 12 stones, they take them up the bank, and they deposit them outside of the bank. They call that place Gilgal. Gilgal now becomes the place of praise. Gilgal now becomes the place of breakthrough. Gilgal now becomes the place where they turn around and they look back at the last hundreds of years, all the way back to the promise that God gave to Abraham that I am going to give you a land. So Gilgal now becomes the place of remembrance. It now becomes the place of celebration. It now becomes the place of prayer. It now becomes the place that the people of Israel return to year after year after year. It now becomes the place where they begin to sharpen their swords. It now becomes the place where they begin to polish their arrows. 
it now becomes the breakthrough. It now is the representation of all that God has ever done for them. Can somebody in this place who you know you've received a breakthrough from God turn the place that you are sitting or standing into Gilgal and give him 10 seconds of crazy praise? Come on, somebody. You know he's been good to you. You know he's been better than you deserve. You know that he's been your breakthrough. You know it. tell you this. Every time I look at Joshua's life, Paul, every time I look at it, every time God told him to do something, it never came at a convenient time. It was always an inconvenient time. But yet, even though what God told Joshua to do was more than what he had in his hand, he always did it. Think about it. He in Gilgal and he leaves Gilgal and he has to battle with Jericho he goes back to Gilgal and then he has to leave Gilgal and go battle with Ai he goes back to Gilgal and he has to leave Gilgal and go battle with Mekdesh he goes back to Gilgal and he has to leave Gilgal and now go fight for the Gibeonites not one single time did it look like he was going to lose or short-handed or not sure. There were times when I'm certain that he was like, okay, well, exactly how is all of this going to happen? But we see that he was obedient and he stepped. He was obedient and he stepped. And it was there was never this situation where it looked like he was uncertain. Why? Because he was always going back to Gilgal, to Gilgal, to Gilgal. Grab this. Hold on a second. So up from Gilgal, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march, hold on a second, after an all-night march, he leaves immediately. After an all-night march, hold on. He says, go back to verse 8, I want you to see this. Verse 8, it says, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. He's speaking to their future using the past tense. I have given them into your hands. It hadn't happened yet. I have, but you don't see Joshua saying, hold on a second now. What's the plan here? What's the plan, God? God, I need to know what the plan is because we are vastly outnumbered. There are five kingdoms coming against one. We are, what's the plan, God? I need to know the plan, God. You don't see Joshua asking what the plan is. Rather, you see God saying, where's the faith? Who's on point? It's not what's the point, it's who's on point. God could have easily said, well, I'll tell you what, Joshua, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get all the angels, they're going to gather together right beside of my throne. They're going to line those streets of gold. We're going to pick up some hailstones. And we're going to grab those hailstones and we're going to hurl them down just as hard as we can. We're going to hit some of those crazy people on the head. It's going to cause them to be confused, some of them dead. They're going to begin to run around like all of this confusion is taking place. When they do, they're going to bump into one another, and their swords are going to fall off, and they're going to fall in such a position that when they begin to run, they're going to fall on their own swords. Oh, and by the way, did I tell you that I'm going to stop the sun? I'm going to make it stand still in the sky so that you can cut off the heads of those evil kings so that you can win? Joshua would have been like, uh, 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 I think he's crazy. 
you know, when I think about, can I take just two, two to three more minutes? Is that okay? When I think about how God has grown this church, sometimes it blows me away the things that he does. You know, like a person a few years ago, two or three years, three years ago, in fact, they, they come through the line at the very end and they hand me this note that God wants to expand your ministry beyond ju- just the boundaries of Cumberland County or North Carolina. He wants to take your ministry international. I'm like, that's good. You know, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's that's powerful. That's great, man. You know, but in, in, in some, some, I don't know if you've ever like received a word like that, but sometimes you're like, that sounds too good to be true. You know what I'm saying? Okay, but then three years two years later so a year ago now uh, you you have this family who comes and sits in my office and and they say that God had 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 challenged them to to go to Panama because one of them was from Panama and while they were there God had been telling this person over and over and over to find a home and so that we can build it into a ministry so that we can do something for children and we can do something for people who are in desperate need in an impoverished area and this person is going and looking for these different buildings and this person has not doesn't have the money to get these buildings but yet when they're looking at the building and all of a sudden God says I told you to look at a building and they're like well I am looking at a building no this is not a building this is not faith I need you to look at something that's that, that's going to require faith and they go and look at another building and that building when they look at it you know the realtors like this building costs a lot of money and the the, the person who's selling this building is probably not going to want to sell this building for cheap but and and then they put a number in the heart of this person god does and 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 she makes an offer and they say we'll take it but then hold on a second but then that person's like okay now how am i going to come up with the money and then god provides okay so god provides that person sitting in my office telling me all about that and then as that person's telling me all about that and reminding me about the letter that that person also put in my hand two years before that person said and this building is 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 was a building that manuel noriega used for for um human trafficking and now god has told me and reaches into her pocket and pulls out a set of keys god has said give it to you because you would know what to do with the building and hence And hence, we have Epicenter Panama, which is opening next month. We've hired a campus pastor who lives there, who's connected to this church, actually in one way. Many things are coming together. Farmers down there, who their family members live here, are, are willing to, to, to drive eight hours to take product so that we can feed the children because the school that's there is so poor they can't feed their kids. So guess who's going to be feeding their kids every single day? Epicenter, Panama. I mean, so how God works is amazing. It's not what's the plan it's who's on point verses 12 and following i need to, i need to move on verses 12 and following i need to move on i want to show you this so verse 12 says on that day the lord gave to the amorites over to israel joshua said to the lord in the presence of israel son stand still okay we see that was his prayer and so the sun did stand still the sun stopped in the middle of the sky delayed going down about a full day there has never been a day like it before or since a day when the lord listened to a human being surely the lord was was fighting for israel excuse me then jesus returned with all of israel to the camp at gilgal hold on a second joshua could pray 
some audacious prayers because he had seen God answer audacious prayers before. You see, Joshua didn't wait until the problem came before he connected to God. Joshua used his prayer life to prepare him for the problem. Lord have mercy. So up from Gilgal he marched. Up from Gilgal he marches all night because every single step of the way he remembers what God said, that I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to give you every place that you set your feet. So now I'm asking you to go do what I'm asking you to do and be ready because I am using you as a sharpened sword. I'm using you as a polished arrow and whole way up he's praising God because he's seen God do it before and now he knows that God is about to do it again is somebody going to get excited in this place with me today Lord have mercy I'm going to close with this I'm going to close with this I'm going to close with this verses 24 and 25 so watch what happens when they had brought these kings to Joshua he summoned all of the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who came who had come with him come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings so that they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. Joshua's in a cave at this point with these kings who are hiding. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do, all of the enemies that you're going to fight. No weapon formed against you will prosper. But hold on a second, there's so much symbolism here. Remember, Joshua means, Lord, save us or the Lord is our Savior. He's in a cave. His foot is on the neck of the kings that have come against the nation of Israel. Well, over in the New Testament, there is this Savior who is in a cave, and the Bible says that he will bruise his heel on the enemy. Ooh, Lord have mercy. He will bruise his heel on the enemy, but then on the third day, you see, you know why God, you know why God has called you to be a sharpened sword and a polished arrow? Because you're supposed to take your heel and put it on the enemy. You're supposed to step on the enemy's neck, step on the neck of despair, step on the neck of brokenness, step on the neck of difficulty, step on the neck of problems, step on, step on the neck of sickness, step Step on the neck of loss. Is somebody going to get up and help me? Step. Step on the neck. Step on the neck. Why? Because who's on point? You are. With every head bowed and every 